This is Sean Coven from 1996, one of Anne Marie Fahey's favorite artists. material that might not be suitable for children under 18. Parental guidance as well as listener guidance is suggested and recommended. Delaware Crime is not licensed in psychology or psychiatry and opinions are only based on facts of the case. Opinions are only opinions and not factual information. around uh, 4 o'clock, and this is Mr. Thomas Capano. Um, I'd like to demonstrate how I know that I have voicemail messages on my phone, particularly here in my master bedroom. Um, I have a speakerphone. There are also two lines in this house. Uh, when I want to check, I often, instead of picking the receiver up and listening for the different dial tone that will tell me whether there's an, uh, a message or not, I usually push the speaker button. For example, I know there is no message now on line two, and this is what it sounds like. I do know there's a message on line one, but I'm going to push the line one button now, and you can hear the difference in the sound. And that's how I know the difference between whether there is a message or not. There is no visual signal, and there is no audio signal uh, unless you either pick up the handset or push the speaker button as I just did. Uh, I would also like to add that I mentioned there are two lines coming into the house. That also means there are two entirely separate telephone numbers. Uh, and on each number there is call waiting. Um, and I guess that's all I wanted to add. Hello, my faithful listeners, and welcome to Delaware Crime Podcast. Happy July 4th weekend and Monday. It's great to have, some of us have off Monday, and isn't it great to have off on a Monday? I know, I enjoy it. Anyway, but a podcaster still goes to work (laughs) on Mondays. That's because you do it live, and most people do it at their homes. You know, they have a studio at their homes. So anyway. So happy July 4th weekend and Monday. Like I said, hope you are having a safe and blessed holiday weekend. Okay? I know that I am. Today, we are covering part two of our last episode last week. Annie Fahey 
The Senseless Murder of an Angel. This week we will be talking about Annie, that when Annie was missing, and twisted secrets of Thomas Capano's life. There's a lot of them. Wait to hear. Woohoo! <clears throat> I would encourage you to listen to episode 13, that was last week's episode, part 1, first, before listening to episode 14 and part 2. This way, you will be pretty informed about this case. So, you know, I would go back and listen, and then listen to this one next. But you don't have to do that. You can just listen to this one. You know, whatever, you know. Um, I do, you know, do um, repeat some things that happened that I had in my podcast last week. So, let's begin. Okay, um, I felt like it was really important um, in the beginning of this podcast to, um, you know, talk about some of Annie's, you know, um, entries in her um, diary, because that was like a big part of the case and everything, so, so I, and I thought it was really ironic, some of them, so here they are. So here are some of Annie Fahey's diary entries during her relationship with Thomas Capano. So, on April 24th, 1994, and I think at that point they were just had been dating for a while, but I'm not 100% sure. I'm afraid because I'm in love with a man who has a family. I fantasize about my life with him all the time. He's very gentle, intelligent, handsome, and interesting. And then, like a year later, um, on April 26th, 1995 and that was a year later our relationship is finished I know it's my problem and my fault I told him things that were hidden inside my heart and all about my pain and I feel like he is using that against me and um, I, I do feel like uh, you know we will cover that I do feel like he did do that Tom Thomas to Anne-Marie and to, to other his other, the other uh, women in his life. So, um, okay. So then, on April seventh, nineteen ninety six, and at this point, you know, I want to make it clear that her relationship with Tom, she wasn't being physical or you know any, um, you know any, you know, th- and nothing was going on. They weren't, you know, it said the news. They were still having, you know. You know, being romantically together. No, that was that was completely done, and she was with Michael. So, um, so I just want to say that. So, on April seventh, nineteen ninety six, almost a year later and three months before her murder, Annie wrote, "I have finally brought closure to Tom Capano. What a controlling, manipulative, insecure, jealous." Maniac. For the whole year, I have. For the whole year, I've allowed Tom to take control of every decision of my life. Really sad. Okay, so now we're going to get back to get go back to when Annie was first missing. Um, so friends and relatives get Fahey's landlord to open her empty apartment at 1718 Washington Street in Wilmington after Fahey mysteriously fails to keep a dinner date with her boyfriend at her brother's house. Especially 
this, especially when this was not her usual way of behaving. She was always 15 minutes early for everything, and she was always polite enough to call to cancel. And after finding a diary that caused, caused Capano, a jealous maniac, police were notified that Annie was missing. So, um, where was Annie? And why was she writing about Thomas Capano? Annie Stanley and her friend are scratching their heads in clueless wonderment. They all knew who Tom was, but he was only just considered an acquaintance you might run into and ask for legal advice in the close-knit Wilmington, Delaware. They were unaware that Annie even knew him socially. His name was never mentioned by Annie. Okay, she never talked about him. At this time, after the news broke that Annie was missing on July 9, 1996, Thomas clearly made a malicious attempt to clear himself of suspicion by calling Robert Zahe, the oldest brother of Annie, and leaving this message. I don't know what to say. Uh, I really, uh, I really do want to talk to you. I, 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 if you could consider that, please call me. I have some things I want to tell you. Um, I care for Anne Marie a great deal. Robert, um, and I know I'm babbling because I'm, because I'm out, out of my mind. I'm sorry, out of my freaking mind, okay, with, um, everything. I have told the police I will talk to them as many times as they want, but I'm not going to talk about ancient history. Anne-Marie has a right to privacy, and I have a right to privacy, and I'm not going to tell them the details of things we did a year ago or eight months ago, or all this incredible personal stuff that they don't, stuff they want to know from me, okay? I mean, do you and Kathleen want to stuff, read stuff in the newspaper? I want to come see you all at the apartment, but I knew that Kathleen would just frankly gouge my eyes out. Uh, I'll stop. Please call me, Robert. So that's what he wrote. That's what he put, and he already knew that he killed Anne Marie. So that takes a lot of, uh, you know what. So anyway. So Tom also made another attempt to clear suspicion of himself, making a public statement to the press saying, The disappearance of Anne-Marie Fahey remains as much of a mystery to me as it does to her family and friends. I can only say I share the gut-wrenching emotions of Anne-Marie's family and will pray for her safe return. So there you go. That's what he made. I mean, I, I... That takes a lot, a lot to knowing that you killed somebody and saying those things. That's like a sociopath. So, um, yellow ribbons tied around the pillars on the front porch of Anne-Marie Fahey's Washington Street apartment in July of 1996. Hopes of Annie's four brothers and one sister, as well as many friends... Might, that they might never see the youngest sibling and, f and their friend alive again. 
her purse, checkbook, wallet, and the clothes she wore that evening were found in her apartment. And only her keys were missing. Her car was still parked outside where she always parked. On July 4th, Governor Carper, Annie's boss and a father figure, joined several hundred of Fahey's friends and family members and many volunteers in search of the park across the street from her residence. President Clinton offered the services of the FBI to locate the missing woman, but as we already knew, nothing was ever found. Anne-Marie Spahey's disappearance from Wilmington, Delaware on the evening of June 27, 1996, in the early morning hours, in the early morning hours of June 28, 1996, did more than eventually destroy Thomas Capano's reputation career and take away his freedom. It crushed the innocence of the city of Wilmington, Delaware itself, and the whole state for that matter. And I do remember that. I wasn't living here at the time, but I just remember when I would come back to visit, seeing it in the paper, and thinking, oh, geez, how could this happen? I had met Annie before, and I was just like, you just, it just was a very, like a little cloud came over Delaware, and uh, it really was a big deal. It was, and it was, here this beautiful woman who worked for the governor was missing. It just was unbelievable. So you felt nothing but sympathy for the Fahey family, and you just, you know, that they would find their sister soon. So Capetto had been a mover and a shaker in Wilmington. One of the people to be admired in all of and envied. His relationship with Anne Marie and his decision to murder her would cast a long and ugly light on him and the circles in which he moved. It says a lot about Capano that he thought he could take Anne Marie out for dinner on the night of Thursday, June 27, 1996, kill her at some point after, assume that no one would recognize she was missing until at least Monday. I'm sorry, at least Monday as she had that Friday, June 28th off from work. And that the, his account of events that evening will be taken and accepted with dissent. This arrogance that Tom Capano had would carry over to his trial where it would be out in full force as he took the stand and testified. Um, okay. To say that the jury hated him would be an understatement. That Anne Marie disappearance would get the attention of the media and other higher ups, given that Anne Marie worked for Delaware Governor Tom Carper, never seemed to occur to Capano. Such a you know, always felt like he was so smart and above everybody. Didn't think about that, did he? He must have been shocked when then President Bill Clinton, who who actually, uh, you know, I read in the book that he had a picture of Clinton in his office. Um, I guess he voted for him. Had offered aid in search for Anne Marie. When the television cameras from her copy arrived in town a day after a front page nerd. New York Times article on her disappearance was printed in early July. 
He must have been downright apologetic. We think we don't really think so, but who knows? Capano had met the outgoing and bubbly secretary. Okay. I'm sorry, outgoing bubbly scheduling secretary for Governor Carper in the spring of 1993. Both moved in similar political professional circles. And when they finally met, the attraction apparently was instant. Ultimately, it seemed not to matter that he was married with four daughters. He told Anne Marie that the marriage was over in all but name, and she came to accept that she would be a she would be a mistress, a side girlfriend, if the relationship progressed any further than friendship. This was a this was new to her, a relationship with a married man. That was not part of um. That's not how Anne Marie worked. I mean. I, he was so manipulative, Capano. But Capano was an old hand at the martial, I'm sorry, at the old hand at the marital, not martial, <laughs> not martial arts, marital infidelity game. He had cheated on his wife multiple times. At the time he met Anne Marie, he had a 15-year affair going on with Deborah McIntyre, the ex-wife of his formal former legal partner. So it was actually, he was having an affair with one of his, and I think I said this last week, he was having an affair with one of his uh, associates' wives. You know, they were still married at the time and they started the affair. And, you know, she eventually divorced uh, right after that. But, you know, that was pretty, that's pretty, that, you know, you're, you work, somebody you work with, you have an affair with their wife. That was, mm. Okay, so that, uh, anyway, McIntyre was also a friend of his wife's. Yikes, that was, uh, nothing much I can say about that, you know, so. Anne Marie knew nothing about McIntyre or Capano's previous, re previous dodgy behavior. So, Anne Marie had no idea that he was having this 15 year relationship you know, with that uh, woman, and, and and Debbie had no clue. She didn't even know Amory existed. So he was really good at hiding all that. She fell in and, uh, you know, she fell in love. Looking at pictures of Tom Capano, it's hard to understand. But reports say that he was charming, intelligent, and self-assured. I bet. That confidence would have been, the confidence would have been attractive to someone like Anne-Marie, whose outgoing nature was a front for the self-esteem issues that crippled her to the point of anorexia and bulimia. Capano's financial freedom and his generosity would have been extremely attractive to women who had come from the working, a working class household who struggle financially their entire lives. And we talked about her life last week. You know, how her mom died when she was nine, and her dad had alcohol problems. And so anyway, that's why you have to listen to the last episode. <laughs> um, for nearly two years, it seemed that Anne-Marie Fahey conducted an on-and-off on affair with Tom Capano. She would vacation with him in Virginia, 
making a list of their differences during the car ride. The list would be read with great sadness in the future. The similarities were slight. Both came from large families and both appeared to be equally fascinated with Tom Capito, meaning he wrote a lot of things about himself and about how great he was. That was Tom for you. <laughs> okay. Uh, Tom went, and of course we knew that Anne Marie went and had a bad self image of herself, and Tom didn't make it any better. How uh, he. Some, like an emotional, you know, thing on her, whatever you want to call it. When, um, Aunt, okay, when Anne Marie needed to repair her car windshield, it was Capano who gave her the money. He treated her to fancy dinners, new clothing, and handbags, and even gave one of her friends a pro bono legal advice on a new business. How sweet. Mm. At one point, she fantasized about Capano leaving his wife and marrying her. It would never happen. Of course, Japan was a serial adulterer, which we all know that. McIntyre, his long, long-time mistress, also expected that he would leave his wife for her. He had every, like, you know, he had him wrapped around his their fingers. She was so manipulative. Anne Marie was a lovely young woman, a, a challenge, and someone who he couldn't, he could control. So he, you know, he at that point he could control her. I think the control was the greatest attraction for him. You know, he had Anne Marie, who was, you know, had her share of issues and, you know. Um, and then there was Debbie, who also, you know, 15 years of him knocking her and everything. I can't even imagine spending 15 years with him, I, you know. Um, so Anne Marie and uh, I. Okay, so Anne Marie tried to break off from Kahanu, but he knew it was. He knew too much about her. He knew her fears of her guilt ever being involved in an affair, which I said last week. You know, it was not normal for Anne Marie to ever be. You know, you would be like she'd be the last person you would think, from what I read, um, that would get into an affair with a married man. That was just not was her. But Tom, he was so. You know, he promised her all these things and bought her all these gifts. And I'll be honest with you, you know, um, she didn't really, you know, I mean, maybe the windshield thing, but she didn't, like, you know, he, he said, oh, let me go over your windshield. Or she would, you know, said, oh, let me get you this purse. That you know. he, she never asked him to buy her things. And a lot of the things she turned down because she didn't want handouts. She was not good with handouts. So, um, and you'll hear that in my first episode. So, Anne, um, so he knew of her fear. So, Capano knew too much about Anne, and he knew of her fears, of her guilt, of her being involved in the affair. He also knew of her eating disorders, and that she saw a therapist and took Prozac. And, you know, back then, that was all that was around, you know, Prozac. Now, so many people take, like, Zoloft and you know, for anxiety and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's, you know, that was a big back then. But, so all of the things that made Anne-Marie self-conscious. He did not hesitate to use any of them against her. So, um, it got to the point where she would, when she was trying to break up, break off with him, he would call her many, many times during the day, send her flower, send her lots of flowers, and accept of emails, all an attempt to wear her down and regain the upper hand. 
So he's like a stalker. That's what a stalker behaves. He would demand that she return everything he had gifted with her. Gifted for her. Um, so that's right there. Mm, that's a red flag. She thought that even in even if their romantic relationship ended, they could remain friends. That never happens. But she was kidding herself. You know, she was so, such a big-hearted human being. She told a few people that she was afraid of Capano and his controlling nature, and that he and that she worried he would hurt her. So I apparently, I think, um, what I heard was that um, there were times where they were together in his car. Or even in her apartment, and he had grabbed her, or uh, you know, gotten very angry, and um, I don't know if he beat her, but he like you know tried to grab her neck. It was very scary. So yet, when she felt she felt ill because of her dis her eating disorder, it was Cano who she called to pick her up from work and nurse her. She wanted to be rescued, but Capano wasn't anything. That was not anything like a knight in, sh in shining armor. Uh, you know, that was an opportunity for him to, you know, to keep manipulating her. And she didn't want to call Michael, who would have never had a problem with it, he said afterwards, or um, anybody in her family because she was embarrassed about what was going on with her bulimia. And, you know, it was, she didn't want to let anybody down, especially the people she loved. It wasn't that she didn't trust her brothers and sisters, um, you know, because she did. But I think she just didn't want to let them down. And so she thought, oh, I'll just call Tom. And that was, you know, thinking that he'd be more of a uh, friend, you know, if anything. He'd just be her friend. But, you know, we obviously knew that didn't work. So, at Christmas of 1995, Tom had gifted her with an airline ticket to Spain. And, once again, she refused the gift. You know, he had offered to buy her Lexus and all this kind of stuff. She said, no, no, no. She had a really big problem. You know, when she used to stay at friends' houses, um, she would never eat too much and all that kind of stuff. She did not like to be a burden because that was her dad had said that to her when he was had been drinking. Okay, so, um, this could have been, this could have been, have been part and parcel of their relationship history and something else had changed. She had met someone else, Michael Scanlon, a bank executive, and he was, um, actually, um, Governor Carper, her boss. Um, they were knew each other through the banking industry, you know, as being governor. And him and his wife uh, had said to her, "Oh, we knew this really nice young lady," because they didn't know that she was had been in a relationship with Tom, or she hadn't been anywhere. And at that point, she wasn't in a relationship with them. So they said, uh, "You know, we have this friend," and um, he, it was kind of like a fix-up from the governor and his wife, you know. So that was wonderful. So um, that's how much, you know, the governor, how she, much she meant to the governor and his wife. They, you know, they'd have Ann over at the time. They were, you know, they loved her. So, you know, just goes to show you how wonderful she was. So, um, Michael Scanlon was an executive from MBNA, Anne Marie's age, and single. He treated her well, and they had fun together. She fell in love with him, and it seemed that he... And it seems that he had fallen in love with Anne Marie. 
Okay, so they were, you know, they had been dating for quite a while uh, when she was killed, I would say, almost maybe eight months or a year. It, you know, and, and he was just so, he blended in so well with her family. She blended in well with his family and everything. So, uh, you know, so they were, they were going towards, um, you know, they were going towards, um, they were, Okay, I think I'll stop for a commercial. I'm sorry. I will stop for a commercial. I just remembered I had to stop for a commercial. And I will come back and we'll talk more about Michael Scanlon and what's going on. As we stop for a commercial, we'll be talking about Simply Safe. And I got to tell you, I love Simply Safe. It's just a wonderful thing to have when you're trying to protect your family and your home. And uh, so we'll be back in a little bit. Have a, have a wonderful uh, break. At home with Robert, retired and family man. With Simply Safe, protecting your home is a snap. Protection against burglary? Easy. Fire? Simple. Flooding? Protected. All connected to 24 7 professional monitoring. Nice work, team. That kind of security can really let you relax. Yeah, I'm trying to relax here. At home with I use Simply Safe myself at my house, and it is amazing. I want to say um, it's so easy to um, assemble and put up, and I mean, it just—it's it, unbelievable. And other. Um, the cameras I have used, uh, doorbell cameras and everything, are just so hard to connect, and you don't know how to do it, and, and I mean, Simply Safe is so easy, I just, I couldn't even believe it myself, until I bought the whole system and took it out, and I was just like, wow, how can this be so easy, and the others can't, so I just wanted to mention that, and we love our Simply Safe, it's great for us, we don't have to worry about anybody getting in our house and we know if somebody does come and and it's just so affordable because you get like you know everything you get the kit you get you know the alarm you get the camera you get everything you know the, the alarm camera in the front door everything it's just amazing and it's so easy to connect it all you know, no more, uh, no more having problems with your thing or charging. It's all, you know, all that's done for, you know, you can get all that done um, yourself. So, um, I recommend Simply Save It. I know we love it. And it's, like, the best thing ever. And keeps your family safe. Tom Capano was found dead in his prison cell recently, ending one of the most brutal murder sagas in the recent history of the Philadelphia area. Capano was a prominent attorney from Wilmington, Delaware, who in 1997 was arrested and charged with the murder of his mistress, Anne-Marie Faye. His arrest ended a 17-month investigation after Faye had disappeared. And Faye's disappearance set off a chain of events in Wilmington that pointed toward Capano as the serial philanderer who had a good life, a wife, four daughters, wealth, power, influence, but also had a secret life in which he was having affairs with multiple women. 
When Fahey disappeared, her family discovered a diary in which she disclosed that she had ended the affair with Capano and didn't want to pick up again with him. And one of the telling lines in that diary became the signature phrase of the investigation. Emery Faye said, I finally brought closure to Tom Capano. What a controlling, manipulative, insecure, jealous maniac. Hello, we are back. And I want to um, apologize for the quick, um, quick uh, ending. I, my seven-year-old son came in here um, wanted something. It was really cute. He's like, I don't want to bother you, Mommy. So this was like a family show, or Mom, you know. Um, so that was, uh, I just wanted to mention that. <laughs> so um, so I, we are back with Michael Scanlon. And by the way, I wanted to um, comment about Simply Safe. Uh, you know, I, I have to tell you, I said on my ad, it just... It, it, it's just unbelievable how easy it is. Um, you don't have to, like, have somebody come in and set it up. And, you know, it's just wonderful. And even the membership is, like, so cheap. So I would recommend it to anybody. I just got it. I had a different system, and then I just got this about five months ago, Simply Safe. And it's just absolutely um, amazing. And, you know, I only do ads of, um, you know, things that, I, you know, endorse and that I think are good. So, Simply Safe is amazing. So, anyway, and you know, you can go in um, www.simplysafe, and that's um, S-I-M-P-L-Y-S-A-F-E, okay, um, dot com. And it will have everything. It's all one word, simplysafe.com. Alright, and you, if you mention Delaware Crime, you will get a 20% discount. Alright, so don't, you know, just uh, check it out. Alright, so back to, so, you know, we, we, she met Michael um, Scanlon, and he was fixed up, you know, by the governor. He, and they treated her, what you know, he treated her well. And they had fallen in love with each other, and they were talking about, um, you know, it had been a good almost a year since they were together, and they were talking about marriage and children. They weren't right quite there yet, but they still getting to know each other, but they were on that path. They were both 30, and, you know, they wanted to, they wanted the same things, and, uh, you know, they talk about children, and, you know, Michael would say he wanted that too with her, and, you know, so fight so much so forth and they both both of their his um his mother and father just loved annie and uh you know her family he fit right in like he was another part of the family so it's just a very good situation for Anne, um annie uh and, and so tom capano when he found out he was livid and he no no longer had a place in her life i think you know i think myself this is what he told her he couldn't control her any longer, and he was really big on trying to control people. Um, and he wasn't ready to let her go. And he, he had, like, a big fascination with control. I mean, I, you know, I think at one time when they were dating, and he broke up with her to try to, I think it was like a game-playing thing, and she was, like, sick. 
you know, depressed, and he, um, you know, he he likes to have that control. And then he would call up and say, oh, I, I, I'll give it another chance, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, he just loved playing these mind games. Um, it would take, uh, you know, it would take him seven months following Christmas, but he would, but, you know, he, 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 um, you know, didn't, he was kind of quiet at Christmas, I'm sorry, he, he was kind of quiet. It was unknown why she hadn't written a diary expert above. Amory resumed con did Amory resume contact with Capano? Um, or why did why didn't she simply walk away? Well I think you know, that's what they said in the news, but I think she was. You know, I, I think she was um, you know, trying to get away from him and she had this humongous heart, and I think that she, you know, would say, well, let's be friends, and he would be, there was no physical things going on anymore, so I think he, she just, uh, you know, uh, he, in his mind, he, she still, you know, wanted him, she still, you know, she, he thought that Anne, Annie still wanted him, so that was, um, I don't think it, and, you know, she didn't tell anybody, um, the governor or Michael, that he was harassing her and stalking her because she was embarrassed. You know, it was embarrassing. I would, you know, it's, it's embarrassing for anybody. And I think that she was afraid it would, you know, make her career, make her, her look bad and affect her career and embarrass her family. And so, you know. So that was, you know, pretty bad. And at that point, um, his wife and him had separated. You know, um, and he, you know, he was like, you know, living in a in, in, um, house he rented. And, uh, you know, he just, uh, you know, um, you know, was, had his own little house. So he thought, you know, that he would... Uh, you know, get Anne Marie to come live with him, and they would get married. I don't know what he thought because you know he he had Debbie in the the you know woods, so I'm not really sure. But Anne Marie lived in fear that Capano would tell Michael Scanlon everything, and it would destroy her relationship with him. So he he held that over head. You know, he said several times to her he would call her and he goes, you know, why are you with that jerk? And he's a nerd and blah, blah, blah. I, you know, I heard the phone calls. And uh, he also, um, you know, he would say, what are you doing with him? Blah, blah, blah. You know, he just didn't want them, um, you know, to be together. So he would threaten this, um, you know, uh, you know, that she would just, you know, that he would say something. So I think, like, the night that she was supposed to, you know, she went out to dinner with him the night she was murdered. She had every intention of just ending things. You know, she told people, I want to end things, and if he can't be my friend, it'll just be over. I just won't be able to see him anymore. So she had, like, been done, because she was very happy with Michael, and, uh, you know, they were going places, doing things. They had gone to all kinds of um, events in Wilmington, and, you know, they were well-known. People knew they were a couple. They were talking about getting married. But so he, he would not get it. He just did not like to, I don't even think he really wanted to, in my mind, from what I read, I don't think he really wanted to be with her, like, you know, in a serious relationship. He just wanted to have control and hold her. That's just my opinion. I'm not a psychologist. Like I said in the beginning, I'm not a psychologist. Okay, so witness, um, so when, so 
he had invited her to go to dinner and uh you know i think at one point but she didn't see this because she'd have been already had already left work he said something about getting her calamari and making her smile or something like that but you know she just wasn't interested in that uh you know so the cut witnesses remember that later that remember later that the couple having dinner at the panorama restaurant that's in philadelphia pa did not appear to be happy so they weren't you know things seemed to be tense which we already knew that Anne-Marie barely touched her food getting the majority of it in a to-go container which you know that didn't have anything to do with her bulimia it was just that she did not like being there with him <laughs> so you know um, the server would recall that there was none of the happy and or light chatter that was normally exchanged over the dinner table so you know most people that were in that beautiful restaurant it's a beautiful restaurant it's still there to this day um you know they, they people would be you know laughing eating just relaxing or you know some a lot of men would take their uh girlfriends there to get engaged so they wouldn't like that companion would later tell authorities that he took Anne-Marie home after dinner, dropping her at her apartment around 10 p.m., and that was the last he saw of her, which we know that's not true. I don't believe she ever returned home that evening. If she had, it's unlikely she would have left again to voluntarily accompany him, him to his home. Not only that, but obsessively neat in order to Anne-Marie would have never left her dress slung over her chair um, or food items on her kitchen counter to spoil. You know, um, and in my first episode, part one, uh, they called Anne-Marie Anal Annie because she was so neat. You know, when she... Um, you know, it was all her, you know, for what she had gone through. She was very obsessive, compulsive about neatness, which wasn't a, like, bad thing. I mean, she wasn't, like, like freaking out about it. But she was very, very organized, very, she would not, like, she'd fold her laundry, okay, dirty laundry, before she watched it. She, she was, like, she'd have her pennies all in a row, facing the same way. You know, she just was very neat and orderly. I think the police were trying to get DNA from her. And they went in her apartment to see if she had, like, any hair out of her hairbrush. And there was no hair. Like, she'd, she'd always kept her brushes clean. She never had any hair on her brushes. So they ended up having to get dental records. But, um, you know, she was just very... So this is, wouldn't be like her to have her dress thing over in a chair. She would never have done that. <laughs> She would have, that would have driven her crazy. Even Mike said that Michael Scanlon said that when he would pick her up, she'd come out with, like, a trash bag to, like, you know, clothes trash bag to throw away her trash. She was just so orderly and neat. I wish I had that problem. <clears throat> you know, she was just a, so, um, I think, and, you know, there were items on the kitchen counter that spoiled. That would not be her at all. So, um, the detectives think that Capano drove her to his own home against her wishes and perhaps cajoled her into staying at least briefly. It was Thursday evening and apparently they both enjoyed watching L A Law together. 
than a popular show on air, which, you know, that's um, something, you know, I enjoyed to watch, used to watch that show, and um, I, it's definitely, I love watching all those lawyer shows. Um, and Anne-Marie might, you know, knowing Anne-Marie, how sweet she was, he might have said, hey, let's just, you know, he might have been, you know, said to her, let's just go watch it as friends. You know, he might have said to her, okay, we can be friends, let's watch L.A. Law. So she, you know, just thought, well, we're just doing it as friends, we're just, I'm going to go over there, I'll watch it with him. Um, and, you know, she just wanted maybe to maintain some peace, you know. Maybe he, if he, you know, they were friends and, you know, um, he, she spent a little time with him that he would just stop all this stalking and, you know, harassment. Um, we, you know, she may have demanded to be taken home. It's unknown. What is fairly certain now, um, according to detectives, that at some point Capano came up behind her as she sat on the sofa and shot her in the head just above her left ear. So, and that's from accounts that Tom gave, um, and we'll get more into that. Um, thankfully, probably not, she probably never knew, we can hope, that she probably, you know, he just came up behind her and shot her, and she probably, you know, didn't even know what was hitting her. So, you know, so that was just cold-blooded over relationship with a woman and he was already and at that point he had another woman in his life too uh you got another young woman it was a she was a paralegal or something and uh you know in his office and he you know he was like tearing off I, it could have been more who knows so then he put her body in a large ig igloo ice cooler he had purchased a few days earlier the kind of cooler that a deep sea fisherman would use for your their catch she was tall around five foot ten so he said that um you know he didn't tom stated in the trial that he didn't have to break her legs or something like that but he would be if, if you there was a juror that got a woman juror that was the same height and you know as amory were close to it and she couldn't fit in there i think she was even like an inch or two shorter than amory and she couldn't get her whole body in there so that you just have to um like think about it okay he changed a cooler um you know so he pre when he i'm sure her bones were broken i can tell you right now he changed the cooler and, and left it in the garage it was then return and then he returned then they think that Katana returned to Anne-Marie's apartment to set the stage he placed the dress she'd been wearing on the bedroom chair I don't I honestly the police said that she that he went she went back to his house and he had some comfortable clothing um from his daughters that the daughter that there that she'd put in I don't think that happened I think that she was wearing a different dress um and he you know, I bought her that dress and she didn't want it, and he, um, you know, put it out there because it didn't have any blood on it, but I don't think it was something she was wearing or she changed her clothes. I thought that was kind of far-fetched. I think she, you know, he, he came, picked her up, said, oh, put this dress on. She said, I don't want to, whatever, you know. So he placed the dress she had been wearing on a chair in her bedroom along with her shoes. He had bought he bought her uh he bought her she and and also i think he bought her a pantsuit she admired from talbot's the unopened box would be found later found in her bedroom several days later 
The tissue paper still wrapped around the garment with the seal unbroken. I think Anne-Marie refused, had refused to give that evening something else that would have angered him. He put her handbag with her wallet inside on the kitchen counter next to the takeout container from the from from dinner. He also left a grocery bag of fruit on the counter, something he'd purchased for her early earlier. Her air conditioning unit um, then he turned her air conditioning unit he turned her air conditioning unit on and then left, locking the front door behind him with her key. The next day he would talk to his younger brother, Gerald, the one whom he helped repeatedly in the past when he got in trouble. See, you know, he always held, held things over people's heads, even his family members. In the past, when he got in trouble, the one with the boat, you know, Jer Jerry had a boat, his brother Jerry, and to helping dispose of Anne-Marie Fahey's body. And I, I can tell you right now, this is not something Jerry wanted to do. You know, he had his problems, but he did not, you know, he did not want to be responsible for dumping a dead person's body. Um, but Tom was, you know, he, he used his manipulation and tactics to, you know, get him to do that. So then, uh, you know, so he, he, Jerry had a boat and he went to Jerry's house in the morning and said, you know, that's, I want you to take, I, you know, he told Jerry that it was, uh, somebody that was trying to, um, you know, trying to, you know, um, blackmail him for money. So that's, you know, we knew that wasn't true. Um, and Jerry did not know that it was Anne Marie at all. So he threw her to the Atlantic Ocean at a, and, and a watery grave in which she would be never recovered. Because, you know, they, what was it, Stone, um, Stone Harbor, New Jersey, or something like that. And, you know, there's, I think it was like an area where there's sharks and. So I don't think she, you know, that was not going to happen. So she was never recovered, her body. Poor family. It would be Gerald's statement and testimony that finally shed the light on exactly what happened to Anne-Marie. Capano also discarded his sofa, which I think, you know, he called his brother Lewis because he, had the, he was really kind of like the primary person in charge of the uh, Capano and Sons, his dad's business. Um, and, uh, you know, he had built up, and I think he said, could you, you know, I have something in there, could you empty the, uh, you know, trash, I put something in your trash at Capano and something. So he, he manipulated a lot of people. Capano would also discard the sofa and the rug underneath, and the rug underneath, it, um, because of the blood stains. He would clean up his living room, but not quite to perfection. A small drop of blood would later be found on the baseboard and be determined to be Anne-Marie's, which we know that. So, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about Thomas Capano, okay, um, and how he grew up. I mean, he doesn't deserve it, but here we go. Okay, so Thomas Capano was known by his family and friends as the Golden Boy, the A student, the captain of the football team, the student council president at a... Uh, prestigious private school in Delaware. The whole hard-working oldest son and a proud immigrant Italian family of men who earned their living working with their hands. But Tom Capano was the brother who studied the hardest, who was always reading books, who was an altar boy, 
altar boy, like a Catholic. Um, that's a, I don't know if nobody people know what that is. It's like a boy in the church that helps the priest with communion, all that kind of stuff. So anyway, uh, you know, he was an altar boy who helped his older sister wash the pots and pans after dinner. And who was the one that mediated disputes between his younger brothers. M- matter of fact, he would, you know, if their younger brothers were in trouble or something like that, he would uh, be the one that, of course, you know, being a lawyer or in law school, he'd be the one that would, um, you know, do damage control. Um, he ne- And according to his mother, he never gave his parents uh, a moment of trouble. So he, and his, by the way, his father, and I said that, died in, I think it was like 1981, but don't quote me on that, but it's in the last episode. So um, he he himself went to college and then law school in Boston. And you know, that's where he met Kay and married her, we said that. When he learned, when he earned his law degree, his father, who had come, who had, um, I'm sorry, who had come to this country from Italy as a boy cried when Thomas uh, got his, you know, law degree. It was the American dream fulfilled. Thomas J. Capano had the world sitting in front of him. So he married Kay, and then after law school, he returned to Wilmington, where he served as state prosecutor, believe it or not, city solicitor, believe it or not, and chief administrator in the mayor's office. And he was counsel to the governor. And that's how he met Anne Marie, you know, so, <sighs> unbelievable. For the next 25 years, he lived a life that most people would envy. You know, we would think, but the golden boy had a dark side. He had it all, and threw it all away, said his once former defense lawyer, um, as early as 1978, shortly before his first daughter was born to his wife his wife Kay Capano Thomas began a string of extramarital affairs he harassed and threatened a woman that he was uh, you know had had an affair with um, who you know who had taken up with in 1980 telling her um, that she would have to leave the city if he couldn't have her. So, um, I, I think I, what I read about this was this is a woman that was engaged to be married and that she worked in, you know, his law firm or wherever, I don't know. And he, um, or in his office, and he, um, you know, took up with her. I think they had like a little fling and then she, you know, um, you know, just, when it didn't want to have nothing to do with him after that and he just kept you know harassing her like he did with Anne Marie um so you know he said it and so he said she would have to leave the city or he couldn't have her and I think she did you know because because he said because this is my town which she you know there's an arrogance again in 1981 he would he started what would become the 17 year affair with his, you know, his wife, um, you know, his, uh, his hunting affair with his associate's wife, Deborah McIntyre, the lover whom Capano later blamed for Faye's death, and, you know, that was true. 
was there for him whenever he called. You know, she she had 15 years of this, um, you know, so he, you know, I'm sure he manipulated her and made her feel like, you know, she was, you know, that, I mean, he just kind of wore her down, you know, and she was in love with him. She would eat, you know, so he, you know, she was there for him. She, you know, he did, you know, just she accepted, you know, a lot of things that went on. So, and she also testified that, believe it or not, excuse me on this, but she had sex with other men while he watched. Yes, that's what I said. Um, you know, and he would like watch in the window. And I think there was a actually a, a politician who um, I want to say it was Keith. Well, I can't say the name, but a, a representative or a politician that 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 had partaken in it. So okay, so um, well. He watched, and that's just crazy. McIntyre was Capano's Wednesday night girl, so he, you know, he would. That was their their night together. The woman who who shared he shared take out dinner, stayed home with, and watched videos with him. So that's you know that was the extent of it. It was the younger woman in his life, like Fahey, because I think Deborah was closer to his age. It was the younger woman in his life, Fahey, and a legal secretary named. Susan, who got to accompany him to the dinners at fancy restaurants in Philadelphia. So, um, so, you know, this is, so ever discreet, Capano said he was, Capano told the jury that, um, during his murder trial, that he, though he cheated on his wife, he would never embarrass her by squirreling his lovers around Wilmington where they might be seen and become the topic of small town hurtful gossip. How considerate of him, huh? That's nice of him. And by the way, Wade K had no idea that he was, he was so good at hiding stuff, even she had no idea. You know, they had four daughters, she worked, she was, she was a busy woman, she had no idea that that was, um, you know, going on, and she was so good at hiding it, she was disgusted when she heard, and, um, you know, it's sad, that's sad, but it, isn't that nice of him, he was considerate about his, uh, extramarital affairs, <laughs> convicted of murder, companion 49, sat stoically, third, um, hit, at, in a third floor courtroom, in a third floor courtroom, as the jury had found him guilty of the 1996 slaying of his former lover, Anne-Marie Fahey. Later, the authorities would co connect a new rug purchase to the day after Anne-Marie was last seen, as well as an ice chest that would be recovered. And that's an interesting story. So, you know, he, when him and Jerry um, had gone out for their little, um, his brother went out to, you know, for the little, the little dump um, of, um, they, you know, he had purchased that cooler way, you know, he, he was playing this, so he had purchased that cooler, you know, way in advance, he tried to say that it was for his brother and all this kind of stuff, and he wasn't going to give it to him at till a certain time and all this mumbo jumbo but it really was not it was something he had planned 
So, um, when they brought her out to say, you know, Jerry didn't want nothing to do with it. He, you know, he didn't want anything to do with it. You know, I think he tried to shoot the, you know, uh, cooler, but, you know, he didn't, he was like, done. He's like, you do it yourself. And uh, I guess at that point, Tom had to take Annie's body out of the cooler and throw it in the ocean, uh, throw it in the ocean on the boat. And then he threw um, the um, cooler with a shot in it in the ocean. And I think this guy, Ken Chubbs, um, was the one that found it. And he said, oh, this is nice. This is, like, practically new. He said, you know, when he took it out of this ocean, I think it was, like, a few days after, and filled up the hole and used it for fishing and... So then when it was on TV, um, you know, that, that they were looking for this, that he had, you know, been arrested, Capano, and, you know, said he stuffed her, her his brother said he stuffed the body, body, her body in a cooler, then Chubbs knew, like he said, wait a minute, you know, if, and, you know, also the news said that he had, Jerry said that he had shot, shot at it. So, right away, Chubbs called the police, and so they had the cooler, and they actually had it in court with them. So, I really believe that was Anne-Marie from the grave that, you know, saying, um, or not from the grave, but from heaven, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say the grave, but from heaven saying, you know, um, trying to get Tom convicted. So, I think that was her, you know, that was her way of, you know, making sure he was put in jail. Um, so, you know, later, sorry, you know, I told you, connect the new rug. So he, you know, um, and, and also there, the, one of the, his cleaning lady said that she was kind of shocked that he had a new rug and like the other rug he had in his rented house was like really nice, like bath and stuff. And then he had this you know, new rug that hardly didn't look as nice and it didn't look like it was as much money. Then he had this new couch and so she noticed that when they act because he had somebody come and clean his house every week. Uh, so, um, both were linked to Capano. It was discovered that Capano told McIntyre that he was being threatened and worried for safety. So he told her, that's what he told her. As a result, she purchased the gun that he, she purchased the gun that he used to murder Anne-Marie. And, uh, so that what, what would happen was, you know, she, he kept bothering her, you know, he just said, oh, I don't want to, you know, get a gun, I'm a lawyer, it would look bad, could you get a gun for me? And I think they went several places before they found one, and, you know, he just could doodle her, that I need that, blah, 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 you know. Um, so, you know, he, because I'm getting blackmailed, and, you know, his, made up stories so so eventually uh, Debbie would turn against him against Capano and testify against him she didn't really have a choice in the matter because uh, you know, she was so far gone with them she didn't want to believe that he did anything um, before Capano's trial began in October of 1998 experts from Anne Marie's diary printed in the local paper paper and shared with the media if she had known the pain, that the painfully private Emory would have been mortified. She would have been mortified knowing that all her, she was very self-conscious 
and it was you know it was sad I mean I remember thinking that when I'd read the paper I didn't live here but it was in all the papers all over the country and when I read it I, I thought man she I would hate to have all that stuff um, you know even though she was already gone still um, she would have been mortified and you know of course you know how the press is no offense to the press I have no problem with the press but there's some press that is not 100% correct um, and you know um, we're so some of them were taken out of contacts and 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 companion didn't help didn't help you know he would said he that he referred you know he would talk to the press and refer to Anne-Marie or his lawyers and refer to Anne-Marie as a head case which was not true I mean, she had emotional issues, but she was a wonderful woman who had a wonderful job. You know, I said last week she was always, you know, an hour early going to work at the governor's office. She was just amazing. So it wasn't like she was like, you know, um, you know, laying in her bed and not getting up to go to work, you know. Companion insisted she was detailing her therapy, um, that he insisted he was dealing with her Prozac use and her dysfunctional relationship with food, which was so off base. I mean, she she did take medication, the Prozac, but she was not like popping pills or overdosing. Or she was uh, very meticulous about her medication and making sure she was right. That's how, her, how she was. So he, you know, he, she wasn't without flaws. Uh, but you know, uh, like anybody else, we all have flaws. Trust me, I got a hundred of them. So, but she was a victim. No matter what she did, Amory, they did not deserve to be killed. Not at all. You know, she plus she was like better in her life. You know, and dating somebody that was healthy and doing good things with their life. She was planning on going back to school. So, defense, companion's defense claimed that that eventually. Um, that McIntyre had killed Anne Marie. Yep, we knew that was coming. Accidentally, as she and Capano had struggled with the gun, resulting in gun firing and striking Anne Marie. Um, you know, he was willing to do anything to get himself. You know, um, you know, out of blame or you know, out of any um, consequences. I guess you could say. So, you know, and they say it's because she was cooperating with the prosecutors, which she was pretty much, you know, didn't have much of a choice in the matter. But then she'd real, she then she found out that he was not who she thought he was. So, um, when Capano learned McIntyre was cooperating with the prosecutors, he was so livid that he asked a fellow prisoner to arrange a break-in in her house while she was on vacation. So, that can you imagine? He worried out specific instructions, where to park, how to disarm the alarm, which pieces of art to slash, and most importantly, all of, all, he, importantly of, importantly of all, he underlined twice, shattered the big mirror by her bed, the one we used to watch ourselves having sex in. Okay. So that was, you know, you just don't, there's no, like no words. You know, she she was on vacation, and she had children too, and I, I don't think they were there, but can you imagine if they were, they came home to get like, you know, some clothes, they were maybe at their dad's or whatever, 
Um, and, you know, there's somebody in there robbing the place or breaking in and destroying, uh, you know. He just didn't care about anybody except himself. Okay, during another truce he had going on with an, another different younger girlfriend, he was conducting a relationship while he was in prison through letters, phone calls, and visits. Tom said, uh, she, this girl said that he was having a relationship with, I'm sorry, said she saw that he um, told Tom that she saw Debbie's picture, um, Debbie McIntyre's picture in the paper, and that she looks like a shrew and a backstabber. So that's just what this girl said to him. And instead of like, you know, he was supposed to be in love with Debbie and coming her to um, her defense, of course she said, you know, he's in prison. He said, pretty perceptive letter, Tom Capano said to his other girlfriend, he wrote um, while in prison on March 17th, 1998. So when he was in prison, he wrote, you know, um, this was, be, you know, I think this was before his trial, that his, uh, you know, that this, that she was perceptive, that she was a, a backstabbing shrew. This is a woman he loves, and he's saying this to another woman. Thomas also brought up a remark to the same woman, the other girlfriend, that was particularly crude remark about McIntyre's, and excuse me on this one, McIntyre's unwillingness to perform oral sex. So he was telling another woman that he, you know, about that. You know, I mean, I just, what does that say about him? So, and press, prosecutor Colin Connolly, who was like a hero because he worked so hard to um, get Tom you know, um, convicted before the jury, um, you know, he said this during the trial, and I have to say, you know, from, um, the book, they kindly ended up, him and his wife ended up, and their kids ended up going vacations with the Fahey's, and they got close with them, and I just thought that was wonderful, you know, that, 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 you know, that doesn't happen a lot, so. And, um, so Colin Connolly told the jury when, after Capano had made that remark to that other woman, this is not how you refer to someone you were supposed to love for 12, for 15 years. Especially to an, another girlfriend. So, he was right on that. He hit the news right on the head. This is a good example of Tom Capano's true character. So, um, the jury, after listening to the evidence over 12 weeks, didn't buy Tom Capano's story about Debbie McIntyre. And despite not having a body nor even an absolute cause of death, they found Tom Capano guilty of first-degree murder. I, and I think it was a lot of it was his arrogance and, you know, he, he kind of like said the you know, made himself guilty because uh, I think he fired a bunch of his lawyers and then at one point he uh, was defending himself. It was just crazy. So, um, Capano himself may have done more to ensure his, convic his conviction when he was the uh, prosecuting attorney. You know, he was very good at uh, getting making people guilty, you know. when he, he did a good job, apparently. Mm. Um, and it's uh, kind of ironic, isn't it? Uh, then, you know, because of the test, it, so he would have done more, and then 
because I think a lot of it was the testimony of McIntyre and Gerard Jerry, his brother, combined as you know, combined together. Um, and he was not companion was not a sympathetic witness. She didn't have an ounce of sympathy um, or compassion or anything for the victim. You know, a woman that he supposedly killed because he wanted to be with. So, um, that really, you know, brought him to a conviction as well. So, um, so in January of 1999, this happened, uh, he was convicted. Capana was sentenced to death by lethal injection. So then the appeal fo followed a few years later in Supreme Court and they reaffirmed his conviction. His sentencing was recommended due to the penalty being a non-unanimous jury verdict. The state so that elected not to go after capital, capital punishment again, giving Capano the gift of life. So he, they want, they said, okay, we won't kill you, but you're going to have to be in, you're in life, your life in prison. You're in prison for life. But that, you know, I, you know, most, a lot of people said that uh, Capano got the gift of life, which she took from Annie. I mean, he could still have his family members visit and, you know, as bad as it was that he was in prison, but, you know, um, Annie didn't have that. You know, he... He took, he took her life away um, from, you know, those he loved and those she, that loved her and her family, her friends. Uh, Annie, um, instead, you know, he was sentenced to life in prison. We said that. Unlike, but then, unlike, um, eventually, some inmates, Campano did indeed serve a life sentence. So this was like in 2011. Uh, September 19, 2011, and, you know, he'd been, you know, in jail since, I want to say, 98, so, you know, so how long, that was like 12 years. On September 19, 2011, during a routine check, the medical, examin medical examiner at the prison decided that he, that Capano died of cardiac, cardiac arrest due to cardiovascular disease and obesity. Um, so, and a lot of people, even his brother-in-law, Lee Romano, who he's still close with, uh, you know, his sister's husband, um, would say uh, that he ate himself to death, pretty much, um, which is really sad, I know, but um, he, you know, probably just didn't want to, you know, didn't didn't care and he had gotten really really big and he had been if you look at all the pictures of him and everything he was very thin I think he smoked too so he was you know very thin um so he died in 2011 and you know I think that was really hard for his daughters and everything it already was hard and you know so I feel sympath sympathy for them and his family and his brothers the sleek and suave top capano that charmed Anne Marie Fahey was gone. So his lawyer uh, stated, the same lawyer that he had, defense lawyer, stated this, um, and I think at one time they worked together. He used to have lunch at the finest restaurants, um, his defense lawyer said in 1997. Now he will be eating bologna and cheese sandwiches for the rest of his life. This was a man who could have traveled the world. 
Now, wherever he goes, he will be shuffling in leg irons. Thomas Capano, the golden boy, is no more. So that's the end of that. And um, so I wanted to just say a few things in closing about the case. In closing, I would like to say that you should never, ever be somebody's personal property, ever. And also that I would like to ask you not to judge um, Annie in this episode and the mistakes she made like we all do. In 1993, when she first met Capano, she was grasping for a father figure and a mentor because her dad was an alcoholic and he didn't have any, she didn't have a good childhood. So, you know, her mom died when she was nine of cancer. So, you know, she was grasping for a father figure and a mentor and a future husband who she could build a life with. And I believe that Capano was so manipulative that he made Annie believe that seeing a married man was acceptable because his marriage was crumbling and that they that he only stayed with his wife for the sake of his daughters. So, you know. And Manny was so good with kids and loved kids so much. He told this to Debbie also and other mistresses. He, we, they found out later. He was telling this to all the other mistresses and Debbie and the one he had the 15-year relationship with. Um, you've been doing, you know, for decades, like I said. Not only, not only cheating on his wife, not only was he cheating on his wife, okay, he eventually divorced him, but he was also cheating on Annie when he was with her and Deborah McIntyre as well. So he was, a, not only did he cheat on his wife, and he, but he cheated on his uh, girlfriends too. That's really take some, you know, this guy was a lawyer. I, Reflecting on what had might have been in Annie's life in, 2020, in 2021, I had to reflect on that a little bit because, you know, she was so wonderful. I believe Annie and Michael Scanlon would be happily married for 20 years right now. They would be celebrating three plus children, milestones, birthdays, graduations, and eventually weddings as well as getting ready to have grandchildren. Annie would be a teacher. She always wanted to be a teacher. She told Michael that she eventually wanted to teach. So I think she would have been a teacher. This way she could have her summer free for her children. So I think she would have got into that. Annie would be the best mother and in perfect tune with Mike, Michael. The remaining siblings would be to, together for the holidays and special occasions. So, you know, I think she would have been very close with her family, and now she would have her own kids. It would have been wonderful. But we would never know that because, you know, Thomas Capano snuffed her away from that. Also breaking the hearts of his daughters, his ex-wife, his mother, and his siblings. So, um, and you know, I knew that a lot of people had issues with Debbie, but, um, you know, she went through a lot of hell. And I think it was, excuse my language, and I think it was, uh, you know, because she was manipulated. Um, but she now, you know, what I, you know, I try to look up people. And um, I think she's remarried now and enjoying her grandchildren. Her kids are grown. And she has grandchildren. And she's remarried. So she's, you know, doing good. And she deserves it. I mean, she, like I said, I don't feel like she knew what was going on or wanted anybody dead or anything like that. So. She, she, uh, she, you know, and she was scrutinized like everybody else, you know. 
you know, I I was oh I also want to ask you not to um you know think badly of any of the families that say these are the companions. The companions especially are not to blame for Thomas's actions. I mean, they might have. You know, Jerry might have taken the boat out, and Louie might have, you know, but I don't think they knew what was really going on. You know, they were just kind of like, whatever. You know, they didn't know. They thought maybe it was a bad person, you know, that, that he had in the cooler there. So, um, you know, they so don't blame him. He manipulated them also. They have both experienced, uh, both families have experienced tragic loss. The Fahey's lost two more siblings after Annie died. Mark, 48, Mark, 48, ex uh, unexpectedly in 2004, and he left a child behind. And Kevin, 63, due to heart issues in 2017, leaving his wife behind and his nieces, nephews, and his siblings. So, you know, that was the... And uh, also, the Capanos lost their mother, Marguerite, in addition... To Tom's death in 2011, another brother uh, suddenly passed away, Joseph, in 2015, um, and he was only 63. And he left his wife and his children and grandchildren. He was a very nice man. I think many, you know, they were all scrutinized and made to look bad, but, you know, whatever. I think many, many of the family members' health decline due to scrutiny and stress. So I, I will say that. Um, all of them from the Fahey's, I'm going to put it up, sorry. All, all along, from the Fahey's and the companion families, they all strived on to be wonderful, loving, giving people, and amazing parents. I think that experience made them all better people. You know, like Louie, he thrived with the Capano business, um, you know, the, and then, you know, Jerry, he, I think, had some issues, but then he, you know, now he, I think he got remarried and is doing really well, um, and, you know, and, you know, so I think it all made them better people. Um, and Tom's ex-wife, uh, Kay, she's still a pediatric nurse. And uh, so that was great. She she kept that going. Um, that's all I knew about her. But her da the daughters are all grown up to be thriving. I mean, they they have businesses. They're wonderful girls. They all went to college. Um, and uh, you know, one that one of them, you know, I think one or two of them are married with children. So they so Kay has some grandchildren. Um, and one daughter is a nurse. She became a nurse like her mother. She went in her mother's footsteps. So that was really neat. You know, and they were all close with each other. And they're close with their aunts and uncles as well. You know, so that's nice. You know, Tom's brothers and sisters and whatever. Um, the three remaining Fahey siblings have children in college and even grandchildren. That's, uh, you know, Brian... Um, Robert and Kathleen so they you know they turned out to be I see them on Facebook they're living their lives and you know because they're from Delaware I live in Delaware so you know they're living their lives they're happy their kids are grown some of them are college some of them got it just you know um you know so and I I admire 
all the families for not, not letting this nightmare affect them. Yeah, because Anne-Marie was so loving and caring. This is what she went for everyone, including the Capano family, including the Fahey, and definitely her own family. Um, she wanted everybody to just move on and get on with their life. I didn't haven't heard much about Michael Scanlon. I know that he um, eventually, um, you know, I didn't know much about his personal, you know, he, I've actually seen him on Facebook. I think he does photography now, but also I, he is like a, um, ended up doing, I think he wanted to teach too, so he's like a, a head of a, a boys school in Philadelphia or Pennsylvania or something. So he's doing really well. I don't know um, his other statuses, if he got married and had kids, I'm not 100% sure. It looks like he might have, but you know. You just look Facebook pages. Some people don't always put a lot of stuff on there, you know. So, but anyway, I do believe that Annie is up in heaven with her nan and her mom and her dad, uh, Mark and uh, Kevin, and uh, they're with them. And she's a beautiful angel in heaven, watching over everyone because that's what she did. So, um, you know. So it's very sad what happened to her. Um, and I, you know, I do can't stress that enough. Don't, you know, domestic violence and emotional abuse should never be tolerated. That should never be tolerated. And I know from experience that it crushes your heart forever. So I, you know, I've done this before. There's help out there. You know, if you or anyone you know is going through this, please call RAIN. R capital R-A-I-N-N. And that, this is the National Domestic and Sexual Abuse Hotline. Okay? And help is available at any time. 24 hours. I can speak with someone right now. If you call. You could, and you could safely um, call um, at 1-800-656-4673. That's one 800 656-4673 or log on to uh, www.hotline dot rain r-a-i-n-n dot org you can do it on you know that's online you can log into that and you know you can also just type in rain r-a-i-n-n make sure you use two n's and, you know, if you're in a situation where you don't want, you know, person to know, you can text. Um, and you text STOP at capital S-T-O-P, all cap letters or whatever, to 55-247 for help if you are in danger. So that's 55247, text STOP and CAPS. Um, I will post this on my Facebook page. Will be list will be listed on um, episode 14's description as well as my Facebook page and contact info for clips and photos of this case and others. Log on to my Facebook page, and I'll have that in the description, episode 14. So thank you for listening. This it means so much to me. You know, I mean, this is the 14th episode, and I really appreciate everybody being patient. 
and uh, you know listening and I you know I know some of the stuff's gory um, but I try not to put too much of that in there or put down the victims too much so I just want to say that that's not something I enjoy doing and you know we all make mistakes nobody's perfect so um, but tune in to Delaware Crime next week for a whole new episode and this next one's going to be very exciting so, and I do have some coming up where, um, some unsolved cases coming up as well. Then talking to the families, and that should be very exciting because I can hopefully maybe help these poor families that have not gotten any answers about their loved ones. So, so hopefully I'll, that will be something I'm doing. I do that with kid gloves and, you know, just make sure that I don't say anything that would uh, mess up the investigation or whatever. So, uh, I will be doing that soon and uh so tune in next week to delaware crime for a whole new episode and uh just have i hope you have a wonderful week a blessed week it'll be a shorter week remember that and uh you know stay cool um for you of you that live in humid areas like me um so have a wonderful week and god bless so delaware crime is an audio francis production what do you think, Francis? Okay, Mom.